Well, hello. It's the BS Show, and I'm your host, Timothy, or something. And on the couch, I have Caleb, me, and Curtis, new. And we're going to be primarily talking about the history of Monte Python. I'm going to say it differently every time I say Monte Python, just because. And that's uh, going to be a really tough bit for you to keep going. I know, so I'm going to probably not say it again. I was going to say it, yeah. <laughs> it turns into Mean Tepeetin or something at the end. Uh, we're going to talk about that, uh, uh, continuing with our topics of comedy, because everything that's going on in the world, why not try to laugh and ignore it? That's how we handle our problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's the healthy way. Yeah. It's the healthy way. Deflection mm-hmm. and sarcasm. And substances. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of substances. Subsi- sub- nope. All right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's everyone doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Let's move on. You know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> fair. Fair. No, fair. I, I, I'm good. It's just been uh, work's picking up. Life is okay. Uh, excited to go on a little mini vacay here soon to Colorado. Um, that's in a in the near future. So just looking forward to that. Mm. Birthday's coming up. Ugh. Yeah, I'll be thirty-seven. Me too. Mm. Yes, it's fun stuff. No, no. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sit over here hmm? and just inching closer to forty. Yeah, it's it's a number, man. It's a number doesn't really matter it's more about how you live those 40 years than Mm. getting to the number Mm. all right cool (laughs) have fun with that (laughs) it's been a dumpster fire it's great curtis how (laughs) how are you i'm all right gearbox has a new ip that i'm loving so oh yeah uh tiny tina's wonderland yeah Yeah. it's kind of a mouthful still haven't figured out how to say it because well gearbox has always been borderlands yeah but I enjoy it. It's Dungeons and Dragons based, oh, and cool. they just like put their own flavor on top of it. I've I've heard that it's D and D based, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen anything other than that. And it's sort of like uh, Borderlands, but not. And I was like, eh. Yeah, it's not in the same universe, but it is. Like it draws characters, but it's a completely different story. Okay. Just acknowledging characters in that universe. I just want to call it Tiny Tina's mouthful. It mm. kind of is. But, <laughs> what? Mm, mm, what? Tiny Tina's mouthful. Oh man, we're uh, we're getting some different kind of content here today, folks. Well, Nintendo released a new Kirby game, and you can go full mouth mode. <laughs> yeah, love it. Like he can suck a car. I don't know what Kirby does, but so you can like it's basically it, the the graphics. Oh my gosh! It's just like Kirby, you know, the little pink puffy thing. Yeah, and it's like his mouth is around a car, and you drive around the, with the car. It's so weird looking. Kirby should open a OnlyFans, and can Kirby suck on this? <laughs> <laughs> That's all it's gonna be. It like when they announced it, I was like, y- y- do you, you you know you what, what you're you doing, did, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it's literally called. They full... knew. They knew exactly what they were doing. I I would hope. Not. <laughs> you would hope they wouldn't. I th- they, If they didn't know, then they're very stupid. I mean, they are the Japanese. What? That I, I resent that. That I mean, they are the Japanese are pretty smart overall. Yeah, it looks funny. He's showing me a picture of it. It looks funny. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say the Japanese are pretty smart people overall. 
I mean, yeah. sure, there's going to be outlier dummies. That's everywhere. I've also heard that they're like very pervy people. I think it's rep- a lot of repressed perviness. Mm. From what, I- come on, man. There's so many perviness yeah. cultures. Our culture's pervy too. It's just yeah. in a maybe more like front and center sort of way. So, yeah, it just gets worse. That's- he he's uh, explain what you're showing. To uh, me. It, it is Kirby uh, wrapped around a cone. Hey, you a know, straight cone. Let's give Kirby his due. How old is Kirby now? Oh, probably f- close to forty. You know what? He's lived a, a very do. PG life. Let's let <laughs> let's let him mature. <laughs> let's let a bit. it all hang out, man. Yeah, let's let him try some things. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with him getting a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. him and Tiny Tina. We need to set them <laughs> up on a date. Kirby and Tiny Tina would make a good couple. Would they? I don't know who Tiny Tina is, but in my mind, she almost looks like uh, the the princess from <laughs> from uh, Mario. That's all I got. Ninety two no. was first entrance of Kirby, so oh. he is thirty years old. Hey, yeah, you know today. what? Good for him. Today, today, it's, today. It's his birthday. I believe. No. It. Oh well, you you got me on a lie. Uh, we only speak the facts here. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, oh, yeah. I, actually. No joke, April 27th. Oh, so we are coming up on his 30th birthday. Yeah. Good on Curbs. Yeah, good on Kirby in full mouth mode. You know? Mm. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, personally. Hey, whatever your kink is, I don't care. If you want to dress as Kirby and go full mouth mode, go for it, man. Dude, if you Google that, you will find something that will scar you in some way, I'm sure. 100%. Like, I'm thinking furries, but you're... Kirby, <laughs> there's got to be. Uh, never mind. Let's not go down this road. <laughs> we go down this road. I, I might just. <laughs> yeah, thinking of community. I hope this doesn't awaken something in me. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Pelton, it already did. But okay, <laughs> we'll do the next episode on uh, the history of Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that much about Kirby, but good. good for I him. don't know if there is much to know about Kirby. He sucks things. He I sucks things. I'll bet Kirby's Wikipedia page is very interesting. I'm sure it is. And the development of the game, I'm sure, was filled with drama, twists, turns, so much that it would be like a documentary on YouTube somewhere. Or lots of drugs. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. probably lots of drugs. Yeah. That in itself is a documentary. Drugs? Yeah. I think it's multiple documentaries. I think there's a lot of documentaries out oh, there. Oh, yeah. Vice has so many interesting documentaries on drugs, pretty much. That's like, if it's late at night on a Thursday and I'm trying to go to sleep, it's like, mmm... Do I watch this and stay up till 11? Ugh. All right, let's do this. Let's have a bad day on Friday. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got nothing. Nothing? Okay. Yeah, nothing. Nothing at all. Anything else going on with everybody? Nope. Awesome. That's my I've, bright spot. Yeah, I, I've been just working nonstop all the time, every day. It's great. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening in my work that we'll probably talk about later, but, you know, it's a lot of hearsay and rumor and innuendo right now. Uh, some good things, some uh, terribly awful things. So, you know, it's great. That's rad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, all I'll say is some bigwigs from Washington are showing up and everyone's panicking and... Uh, they may not do anything to my job. Absolutely not. Um, they may shift us around, but I, I really don't know. A lot of hearsay and craziness. Yeah, I mean, my job's done that too. 
Yeah. They'd be like, oh, we might just move you to somewhere else. And I'm like, I might just find some other place for myself if you're going to do that. I would like to make my own decision on where I land personally. Right. And it's a lot of rumors and hearsay. So I'll find out probably this upcoming week more information. Yeah. Good, man. Good. <laughs> I hope you get the information you deserve. Thanks. Uh, I mean, it, it could be hugely beneficial where I'm making a lot more money. Me. I mean, no yeah. one's ever going to complain about that. No. Oh, my God. I'm making too much money. Yeah. What mm. do I do? Yeah, it just may be like a little painful, but I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> anyway, the history of the Monty Pythons. Uh, what do you know initially? I uh, I feel bad. I I know a lot about this actually. <laughs> so you know, it's I've been a huge Python fan for a long time. I have the box set of the entire TV show, all the movies. Um, anytime there's a documentary on them that I haven't seen, I typically watch it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm a huge Python fan, uh, personally. So I think I know a pretty, pretty good amount about how they, their backgrounds, how they came together, um, all that good jazz. Yeah. There's a good Netflix one. Um, there's several actually on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is, uh, almost the truth. I think that's their, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the latest one they did, I know they did a live performance, which wasn't really a documentary and they've gotten together, but it hasn't been like, so there is history. a live performance one that also has pretty much everything that they've recapped and talked about, like how they got together and, and all of that good stuff. It also, it was very sad to kind of watch that one because Terry Jones, um, was really dealing with some dementia through mm -hmm. that. And it's very evident if you watch it, you could just see him kind of be like, all right, I kind of know what's going on, but I'm not sure. And when you see people with dementia and you see the look in his eyes, you're like, oh, and he's he was such a brilliant mind. Mm -hmm. It's really sad to kind of see it. So I would recommend people, if you love Python, maybe don't watch it because it, it's a little painful to see some of that there. Yeah. Do you have anything, Curtis? I know there are movies <laughs> and there's a show. Yep. And what I've seen is really funny, but... Any uh, any like personal favorites of the uh, like the show that really stick out to you? Nope. No. Nope? Okay. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's my knowledge level. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually watched the Flying Circus. Uh, I've seen bits. Uh, I I argue that and now for something completely different. Their first movie is kind of their best of, and it really is their best of the Flying Circus. So once you've seen and now for something completely different, you've seen most of Flying Circus. Um. Yeah, there, there's some kind of. There's some other bits like the spam bit and the Inquisition that doesn't make it. Uh, there's, I, I would say, the fun thing about the TV series is some of the just completely random awfulness that they have in there. <laughs> there was one that it was never, it would never make that because it was supposed to be a a, a nice little one-off joke. There's a sketch going on, and they're talking about like dismembering people and uh, well earlier in the show they said at some point the queen will be watching and we will let you know when the queen will be watching our show then at the very end they just do this entire thing where it's about disemboweling like people and like harming animals and all these terrible things and then all of a sudden god save the queen comes on and they just all stand at attention looking like <laughs> while they're like covered in blood and all these other things <laughs> so i just thought that was an absolutely brilliant sketch uh, based off of one joke 
to pay off from the very beginning. And then at the very end, that's how they go out. So it was also such a cool show, too, because you might get into this. But their theory on sketch comedy is brilliant. The worst part of a sketch is always, how do you end this? With the punchline. Yeah, those punchlines are always so stupid. It's like, well, I guess we learned our lesson. And they're like, we hate that about sketch comedy. So instead, they'd be like, well, how does this tie in maybe to your sketch? Or what if we just chop off that last bit and then we bring out the general to say, that's enough. This this sketch is silly. End it. End it now. Go to the next. And that was like how they chose to end their comedy. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And you watch SNL now and you're like, yeah, they they could use something like that so to break that barrier that's there with comedy. I mean, that's their joke is that there really isn't one in the bit and it's all about the funniness of the bit or the absurdity of the bit yeah. rather than the punchline. And there's one in, in, uh, and now for something completely different where the, the dirty fork bit and they're kind of disappointed because it actually does have a punchline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Flying Circus went from 1969 to 1974. And I do believe that last series, John Cleese. Yeah, Cleese removed himself. He thought, and he was right, they were sort of repeating a lot of what they were doing. One of the best sketches they ever did was the argument where Michael Palin walks into a room and he's like, I'd like to have an argument. No, you don't. Yes, I would. No, you don't. Yes, so you, yes, so this is just contradiction. And that's, that was like <laughs> no, it isn't <laughs> exactly. So that was like the whole point of the sketch, and that's something that was very John Cleesean the mm-hmm. way it was written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, you know, we're just kind of doing the same thing here. That that premise is sort of coming back. So I, I want to see myself out. He also wanted to do other projects that he had kind of been working on. Cleese was the big star of the group overall, so the most famous. Uh, he was on like British, also well, was Palin, but John Cleese was kind of the most famous in Britain television. Um, when he talked about not wanting to be a part of Flying Circus, BBC was like, oh, we're, I don't know if I want to do it. And it's because John Cleese was kind of the face. Yeah. I mean, and the interesting thing too is all of them started off as writers on the same show at one point. They had all come out of Cambridge and Oxford, uh, the different sketch shows that they did there, met up at this show, were loosely friends there. And I, I think actually I have to say Terry Gilliam was the only one that wasn't a part of that writing group at that point. Yep. But the other five Englishmen were, and, and that's where they started to get to know each other. That show ended, uh, and then later on they all kind of were like, oh yeah, Eric, we should get him involved with this. And what about Michael Terry? Yeah, so that's how that all sort of worked out. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, so they have four feature films, and now for something completely different, it's their first in 71. Then the classic that I think around the table is probably our favorite, The Holy Grail in 75. And then uh, The Life of Brian in 79, and then The Meaning of Life in 83. Um, and of course, uh, Graham Chapman passed away in 89, and that was kind of the breaking up of the Pythons, so hey, to speak. Are you going to talk about the funeral? We can get into that a little bit. Okay, all right. We'll get into that later. I'll leave leave that alone. Um, As mentioned, uh, Terry Gilliam wasn't, he's the only American and didn't like know these guys outside of their troupe. And we'll get into that. Um, What's interesting about Gilliam is he was a cartoonist and he really wanted to try to do like Mad Magazine back in the day. Uh, And he was doing uh, a humor magazine called Fang. (laughs) 
and was the editor of Fang. This really dates. This is like in the early 60s. And that's how he kind of links up with all these people as they liked his animation. And so you get like of those weird cartoons that you see in Holy Grail. That's Gilliam. Mm. One interesting thing about Gilliam, he actually met John Cleese years before Python. Um, he, uh, th- this was in New York. Cleese had come into town to do some sort of sketch show in, in an off-Broadway theater somewhere. And uh, Gilliam saw him and was like, man, he just makes some really funny faces. Mm-hmm. So he made a uh, comic, like a comic style uh, story, but except without drawings. It was just done with photography. And then you'd put the little bubble with the words of everything that's being said. He used John for that. And that's how those two met. This was years before Python. And mm-hmm. just this random little one-off uh, comic that's out there. Uh, I don't even know if you want to call it a comic, but that's the only way I can really describe it. It's just the way the story is told. So, can you really explain Gilliam's like cartoons? Like, I don't think you can. Um, I would describe <laughs> it as someone who can be a bit manic. Yeah, you think? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> um, and then just driving it into your face. One thing about Gilliam that's very interesting is uh, he grew up in a very conservative family and was mm-hmm. uh, grew up very Christian and. Mm-hmm. I think he maybe deals with a little bit of zealotousness, uh, if that's that's not a word. Zealotry. Zealotry. Thank you, my friend. You taught me something today. That's a good. Fact. I have a role in this podcast. Oh, you've got. <laughs> you are the purveyor of random knowledge. Remember, we've got to make that a T-shirt. Purveyor of random knowledge. Are we going to start selling swag? Uh, I'm up for it, but I'm not going to do the work. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's me. That's me. Um, yeah, so I think with that kind of sort of madness of zealotry can lead to ideas going just directly down your throat and forced that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a BA in political science, which is very interesting. And what's interesting about the Pythons is they're all really smart people. Uh, and we'll get into that too. Uh, you know, having a BA in political science is unique when you think about the satire that uh, Python can get into, especially in the Flying Circus and against, like, uh, basically Britain and how proper they were back in the 60s, 50s, and 60s, and kind of the, the against the poshness of English. Well, it was also at a time, too, where cultures were changing. This was in the 60s when they were starting to develop Monty Python and that humor. Counterculture wasn't just happening here in America. That was happening in all, you know, all over the Western world at that point. So Great Britain was going through its own sort of hippie phase. And that was kind of part of the allure of Python, where it was avant-garde. It was different. It was so funny and intelligent that it fit in perfectly with the counterculture that was going on over there. Uh, next up, Graham Chapman, who passed away October 4th, 1989 with throat cancer. Uh he went to Cambridge and actually graduated from St. Bar- Bartholomew's Hospital Medical College in 1966. So he was a doctor. Yeah. Hmm. Pre-med. Pre-med doctor. Uh, and at Cambridge, he would meet John Cleese, where they kind of joined together. And um, the Footlights Review, a clump of Pilleth, which toured the world as the Cambridge Circuit. What's circus? What I find really funny about those two is they were writing partners. Mm-hmm. So all of their sketches they wrote together. Mm-hmm. And Cleese says, "The first time I met him, I thought I don't like this guy. 
There's just something about him I don't like. And he yep. and somehow Graham just stuck around him long enough that I guess he's sort of like, okay, he's all right. <laughs> like a fungus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that they were already part of like a comedy troupe and right in this early 60s and it's him and John Cleese. Graham Chapman and John Cleese kind of get together and start doing improv comedy or sketch comedy uh, in college and kind of start performing then. Um, And John Cleese, on to him, the most, I would argue, probably the most famous of the Pythons. He's he's the most, uh, how do I put it? So they've all, a lot of them got their niches along the way. Cleese was such a talented actor and had such a unique look. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, very mm-hmm. tall, but still looks very English. And so whenever you see him melt in a movie like, you know, A Fish Called Wanda, it's hysterical to watch. But yeah, he was probably the biggest star of them all. Yeah, I mean, he's been in a bunch of films as bit roles. I mean, he was in uh, James Bond at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Pierce Brosnan Bond. Um uh, what else has he been in? He was in Shrek 2. Uh, my personal favorite, though, is A Fish Called Wanda. If you haven't seen that movie, it's not super dated, maybe a little bit, but it is a very funny movie. Uh, he plays a lawyer in it uh, who's just being swindled by a couple of Americans, uh, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but he's very funny as well. Uh, I'm a little tired, so I can't remember all the names. I can't help you this time. No, purveyor of knowledge is, lo- <laughs> is lost. John Cleese went uh, to Cambridge. Yes. Yep. Uh, studying law, and he would join up with Graham Chapman in that uh, Footlights review, and they would do comedy together and obviously start writing together. And it's interesting that the Pythons had, like, uh, there was the four of them who kind of split off into twos. You had... Um, Terry Jones and Michael Palin together, yep. and then John Cleese and Graham Chapman. And then you had Eric Idle kind of floating, and then uh, Terry Gilliam, who they kind of just, you do your own thing, man. <laughs> yeah, they pretty much just said, okay, we don't know how he's going to get from point A to point B. Just let him do it, and he knows where we're going with it. So, yeah. Um, so then Terry Jones goes to Oxford, uh, and they do, what is their comedy troupe called in Oxford? I forget. Um, I can't recall it either, but yeah, that's, yeah, that, uh, Cambridge and Oxford had like a friendly rivalry in a way mm-hmm. between how they, um, uh, uh, they would perform at similar festivals and, and shows, but they always respected each other, but there was, Hey, we want to one up those Cambridge guys, or we want to one up Oxford any way we can. I remember, I think it was Terry Jones talking about one of the first bits he did was written by John Cleese. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So it's interesting that it's almost like fate had like destined these guys to be together because they don't even really know each other and they're already already writing bits for each other in the early Mm sixties. Um, there wasn't a whole lot about Terry Jones. Um, I mean, I, I know a little bit about him. He grew up in, in Wales, mm -hmm. uh, and one thing about the Welsh is they do have a bit of like, we have to prove ourselves sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's very interesting about Terry Jones is, uh, you know, he was, he was a pretty short guy, but he was not afraid to confront uh, John Cleese. Cleese, I think, has been known to be a bit of a diva occasionally. Mm-hmm. And Terry Jones would just, especially on Holy Grail, that uh, and Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam both directed it, 
over time it became more of a Terry Jones directorial movie. Uh, and Life of Brian was directed by him as well. But he would just kind of be the one to tell Cleese, knock it off. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting that this short little man didn't put up with bullshit from anyone. Uh, it, it, it made me respect uh, Jones a lot. Which is something that I think Michael Palin talked about in that last series of Flying Circus is that Terry Jones just kind of took it over yeah. because he didn't have to fight John Cleese anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting how comedy kind of develops. It's more of what what is the perfect idea, not just a slew of ideas, but how can we argue this out to be the the best thing that we could do? And I think that's a lot what happened between those guys. Um, Michael Palin, of course, went to Oxford. And that's how Terry Jones and Michael Palin got together is they went to Oxford and was part of this comedy troupe. And they did a lot of things. Uh, Palin was also a presenter on BBC on TV on a show called Now in 1965. So you have Cleese. And Palin on different TV shows kind of becoming known. Uh, and they eventually, oh, I forgot Eric Idle. We'll talk about Eric Idle. He goes to Cambridge. He is in lines with uh, Terry Jones and uh, Michael Palin. They kind of now form a team in Oxford. Mm-hmm. No, Idle went to no, Idle went to Cambridge. Uh, I don't believe so. Yes, he did. Uh, maintains, uh, yeah, he was at Cambridge and that, I, I think, uh, idol knew John Cleese and, uh, Graham Chapman. I do believe I'm Googling because I do want to make sure <laughs> I do believe oh, you're right. He went to Cambridge. I was, I was incredibly wrong. I will whip myself until I bleed. Yes. Thank you. Um, so they all start getting well known and they all end up on the show called the frost report, which is a comedy show that was kind of big and, um, on BBC It only lasted two seasons. That's a lot of English television though, folks. It'd be a, a series or two, maybe three. And then you just let it die. Let it die. So they all end up writing for the frost report. Uh, John Cleese, the troop, the Monte Python, basically writes for the show and eventually they go, uh, we're all writing the show and we're not like the main draw. So let's become the main draw. Now there was though a time though, after this show, they actually went and kind of went their separate ways. And some of them actually worked on this kid's show and it was very avant-garde as well. Similar to Python. It was a little weird. They would have a musical guest, uh, that was a bit bizarre, and they'd be like, okay, well, this is a weird kid's show, but whatever. And I think that one had Michael Palin, where he was actually a performer, and then Jones and Idol, I believe, were on that as well. Mm-hmm. And then Cleese and, and Chapman were doing their own thing somewhere else, and along the way, uh, <laughs> uh, Cleese said to, he wanted to work with Michael Palin. He's like, I want to work with Michael, and I'll bring Graham along, as, and he'll help me write, and maybe the rest of us can do it. And then uh palin's like sure but i'm not going to come unless terry comes and like all right well we'll bring terry along and then terry goes well i'm not coming unless we bring eric along they're like okay fine and then eric goes well i'm not coming i want terry gilliam to join us as well they're like fine but we're done (laughs) we cannot add any more to this ridiculous sketch show that we're doing so there you go and then you have the birth of the flying circus monte python's flying circus did 
Do you have anything on how they, uh, the naming of the show? They go through several names. Um, I forget some of the awful names that they came up with. One of them was, you can't call a show Cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> and then my personal favorite was Michael Palin's idea. He wanted to call it, he was reading this like uh, Home and Garden um, magazine that was at his parents' house. I think that's where he said he found it. And uh, this lovely article was written by this elderly woman somewhere, and it was her name was Gwyn Dibley. And he was oh, like, yeah. Let's call it the Gwyn Dibley Show. <laughs> and then someone would be like, uh, hey, Mom, you have a show on, on the television right now? I absolutely love that they wanted to give the name to just this random woman named Gwyn Dibley. Well, didn't they go down the road of Gwyn Dibley flying circus? And yeah. they're like, oh. I like the flying circus bit. That was a thing then there too, yeah. Yeah. And it, then Monty, they were like, it sounded very British. And then Python, they're like, oh, it sounds almost like a slithery agent sort of name. So Monty Python, yeah, let's go with that. Thus you have the show. And then the show, of course, gets really popular um, with the youths. Uh, there's on the, the Netflix, or it's not Netflix, but that documentary, Almost the Truth, they talk about how... Everyone who was older hated the show. Well, in their first audience, it was a bunch of older Old. ladies because it said circus. So they thought, oh, well, okay, well, we want to get tickets as a live studio audience to this circus. And out come these guys doing very silly, silly things. Grown men being very, very silly. So these old ladies would watch and just be like, oh. I don't think I like this very much. <laughs> and there was very little laughter on the first show. One of the highlights, though, is um, there's a sketch where it's the funniest joke ever told. Uh-huh. And this it's discovered in World War II, and you just have the, the British start to use it as a weapon. And they will read it in German to the Germans, and they literally are running through this forest going, Ich bin ein Ganwutzken Eifenheim! And then all of a sudden, these Germans just start going, <laughs> and, and die off like that. So that, it's not actually a very great first show. It's not. <laughs> I'm being, and I love the Pythons with all my heart, but that's literally the main highlight out of all of it is just this, okay, well, there's potential in that. And then not long after, you get like, you know, the fish slapping dance or something like that. <laughs> the fish slapping dance. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Nope. So it's uh, Eric Idle and John Cleese. It's a filmed bit where uh, you hear this music in the background going And while that's playing, um, Michael Palin is prancing back and forth with two like sardines, like small fish, and then just slapping Pal or uh, John Cleese in the face with it. And then that ends, and then. Michael uh, John Cleese pulls out a large salmon and then just swacks the shit out of him <laughs> and he falls into a canal. That's the bit. The whole bit. No punchline, no nothing. I love it. It's like a precursor that. to Jackass almost. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Flying Circus, they all get famous and popular and then they decide, let's get in the movies. Uh, well, they had the, and now for something completely different, which is just kind of a best of the Flying Circus. You have a lot of the famous bits, the parrot bit. And they were hoping that would get them into America with yes. something like that. Because at that point, they were not known in America at all. Canada, yes, they were known in Canada, but nothing in America at that point. So they thought, well, we'll give them like a best of sort of thing here. We'll film it. It'll look good. 
it didn't fly in America at all because at that time people just weren't getting it for whatever reason. Um, so you have the best of the parrot sketch is probably one of my favorite. Oh yes. <laughs> Do you know that one? Nope. <laughs> so basically, uh, John Cleese walks into a pet shop that he just came from, and he says, hello, I'd like to file a complaint. Uh, hello, miss, I'd like to file a complaint. And then Michael Palin gets up from behind the counter and goes, who are you calling miss? And then he realizes, oh, it's a guy. He goes, Cleese says, I'm sorry, I have a cold. <laughs> Anyways, and so basically, Palin sold him a dead parrot. And so he's like... he's trying to argue with him like no no he's not dead he's just pining he's not pining he's stone dead this is an ex-parrot he has ceased to be he no longer exists and has gone to meet the maker of light entertainment in the sky this is a dead parrot and so he just goes on through like this thesaurus of ways to say that it's dead for him to finally get it before he finally pulls out the the it's a fake parrot folks so please don't worry it's not an actual parrot that he did this to but he pulls the parrot out of the cage and then just spikes it onto the the counter going boop, 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 boop. Polly <laughs> would you like a nice cracker Polly <laughs> now that's what I call a dead parrot that's how it ends it the the whole thing of it though is a brilliant premise and Cleese had done this once before on one of the previous shows he had this experience with a mechanic where he would go and say like, yeah, I don't know what's up with it. And the the mechanic always had a, a thing where he'd be like, oh yeah, it's just the carburetor. We'll fix it. It'll be nothing. And then they fix it. He's like, oh yeah, that's, that's just the model. They're going to always have that problem. He just didn't know what he was talking about until he finally realized this guy is swindling me out of something. So they did a sketch where it was pretty much just a, recreation of what he experienced and it didn't really work so cleese was trying to find a different way to present the sketch and he's like and i think it might have even been chapman who had suggested make it a in a pet pet shop with a parrot or something along those lines. i think it was going to be a, a it was a dog or a parrot yeah it was between <laughs> that and a dog is maybe just a bit too like maybe people would feel too much for the dog not as many people have birds so might not have that same sort of feeling with right. it right it was brilliant, brilliant sketch. Brilliant. I that I really love and now for something completely different. Um, the uh, oh, the bit where the self deficient defense bit. Yes. The banana. <laughs> it's pretty well done. Oh man, I gotta say All for me bits. though, it's the lumberjack song. The lumberjack song is a classic. I know that one. You know that one. I know that one. You know how it's like the the skin, the part before it. No. So the whole thing before it is, um, this is from the show. I love the setup for it. This man is a barber, but he's a really bad barber and just has this urge to cut people's throats. So a man comes in to get his hair cut and he's just covered in blood. Like not the man that walked in. Michael Palin is covered in blood Mm -hmm. from like slitting someone's throat or something. I don't know. But he's really trying to fight the urge to kill this man. And so he, he tries to find this way. It ends up with an argument and Terry Jones character leaves and he goes i didn't always want to be a barber i wanted to be a lumberjack <laughs> leaping from tree to tree riding down the rivers of the mighty and mighty british columbia just this whole bit that's how it starts the setup was a previous sketch and they're like well how do we where do we want to go next we got to do a song <laughs> and so that's how the lumberjack song then got written out was from that ridiculous sketch before about i don't want to kill anyone anymore as a barber Gosh, I just, 
It's so good. It it the whole thing though that they were also doing was they were playing with a lot of um upper class people in power were always a stereotype that were used mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to like rebel against. A lot of schoolmasters were made fun of in it. That was a big thing for them because they all pretty much all went to like private schools along the way, except for Eric Idle. Uh, Idol had a very different background from the rest. So they were all like, they hated their headmasters. Uh, politicians weren't trusted. The law wasn't trusted. So they were going after, they were so smart about punching up. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the entire time they punched up, which was great. And then in 75, you have their masterpiece, uh, Monte Python and the Holy Grail. Nee. Nee. The Knights who say, nee. 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 No, 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 nee. it's nee. Oh. There you go, knee, knee, Is that are you kneeing that woman? It is I, Roger the Shrubber. (laughs) There's so many great lines from that. I I remember watching it for the first time as a kid. My brother-in-law showed it to me, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what I was getting into. And I don't remember laughing too much. I just remember being mesmerized and getting closer and closer to the television. Like it it was some sort of like weird religious experience. And then. Uh, every, yeah, never mind. Uh, and then uh, I w- wanted to watch it again immediately and mm-hmm. just laughed my ass off at how ridiculously awesome it was. This was my foray into the Pythons with the Holy Grail. And yeah. I was I was a little kid. Um, but going back and watching it, you appreciate it a whole, oh, differently. Absolutely. Just absolutely differently. It's actually like a well done, like medieval film. It never seemed like, oh, this is the 1970s. Um, obviously, I mean, the hair kind of gave it away, but sure. what movie in the seventies doesn't, uh, but the medieval aspect, I actually went for it. Like it got dirty and gross and nasty. I uh, do love that. They were like, okay, we can't afford horses. What are we going to do? <laughs> oh, we'll just do what they do in the, with a Foley artist. We'll get some actual coconuts and bang them together. Just like a Foley artist would that that'll work. That's yeah. just a funny just chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> like when you see it for the first time, you're like, what are they doing? <laughs> And then you get it like, oh, okay, he's that's his horse, I guess. <laughs> Patsy. Yes. Have you, uh, maybe we'll get into it later, but uh, Spamalot? I have not seen Spamalot yet. Uh, the missus took me to that in 2019, and oh my God, it was so much fun. It's just like watching, if you go see it in the theaters, it's just like watching Monty Python with a bunch of friends. Everyone is quoting their favorite parts. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And they also did original writing for it. There's a great line in the in the play where um, uh, uh, Arthur is singing a song of "I'm all alone" and Patsy's like, "I'm here." No, <laughs> I'm all alone. <laughs> and then at the very end, like they've they've made they make some uh, Jewish jokes in there as well. And finally, Patsy goes, "Well, I'm Jewish," and Arthur's like, "Well, why didn't you tell me that?" And then Patsy replies. That's not something you tell a bunch of heavily armed Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh, that fits so perfectly. Yep. Those are the moments that stick out really big to you because it's like that's still Python humor, mm-hmm. still punching up, and at the same time, very silly as well. Silly. Far too silly. Silly, silly, silly. In this sketch. On to the next. Camelot, far too silly. Yes. <laughs> Tis a silly place. Tis a silly place. <laughs> uh, Grill is one of my favorite, and we can probably quote the entire movie in its entirety. Uh, had only had a budget of $400,000. You know who was one of the chief financiers? Who? George Harrison. Yes. He really wanted to see it made. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, that's my fault. Li- that was Life of Brian. That's Life of Brian. Sorry. I do, uh, I think, like, some of the guys from, like, Pink Floyd and some other musicians helped finance, uh, uh, Holy Grail. My fault, folks. 
Yup. I uh, am awful. My Python knowledge. Ah! Ah! Uh, it, of course, was actually a big hit in America. Yeah, um, by that point, they had gotten onto, like, PBS channels. Uh, yeah, so reruns point. of The Flying Circus was happening on PBS of all places. And the first place, Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Of all places, hmm. they got into Dallas, Texas, and it was through... Um, April 3rd, 1975 is when the Holy Grail released. That is today. Wow. We nailed it. <laughs> we did this. Yeah. Uh, We're going nowhere with that. That's great. I, I should have looked that up before, but nope. And, and uh, apparently the person to do it was uh, uh, Owen and Luke Wilson's dad. He owned the PBS station down there. Interesting. So, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure we can go on and talk about uh, the Holy Grail. Oh, maybe, okay. And maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, the Life of Brian is their next film in 1979. What What do you know about the Life of Brian? Well, like I said, chief one of the chief financiers was George Harrison. He really wanted to see it get made. I do love their writing process for it. <laughs> they decided to go on a holiday and write together. Uh-huh. And they realized, oh, God, we got to actually write this thing. <laughs> They were having a little bit too much fun. And uh, one of the best little bits came out of a journal that I think it was John Cleese that wrote it. And they were saying, like, the writing is going along pretty well. Eric hasn't done too much. He wrote a song for the end. It's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) And that was always look on the bright side of life, which is one of the most, I don't know, important pieces of Monty Python. It's almost their, like, uh, you know, thesis, uh, if you will. So. What's interesting about how the genesis of Life of Brian, so they're on tour for uh, the Holy Grail, and it's becoming this huge sensation, huge big thing, and they ask him, uh, <clears throat> what's their next movie? And Eric Idle says, oh, it's Jesus Christ, The Lust for Glory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very Graham. Very, no, that was Eric Idle. That was Idle, I'm sorry. Idle. Uh, and so they start working on that, like... Huh. It was based off of a one well, and yeah, snap joke. A, a it clip. all changed, too, because originally they realized, well, Jesus isn't funny. <laughs> they thought they were going to make a lot more like jokes with Jesus. Like, well, he's actually taught like a lot of great things you can't make fun of. Take care of your neighbor as you would take care of yourself. Well, that's not funny at all. Blessed are the meek. Yeah, you can't really do anything with that. They're like, well, what if they change it to, like, blessed are the cheesemakers? Someone mishears it in the back. <laughs> Like, no, no, no. I think he said cheesemakers, not peacemakers. Blessed are the Greeks. What? Oh, that's true. They do have it so hard. You know, those kind of things are things that they thought, well, okay, instead of making it about Jesus, what if it's more about how people in society use religion or like the history of like some of the Roman, uh, you know, uh, controlling all the areas of the world that they were in so much that they were taking away the culture. Uh, these are things you can kind of punch up at as opposed to punch down because it's not fun to make fun of Jesus. And they don't. They don't. They, everything with that Jesus appears in, in the film is like it fits with the Bible. It's correct. Yeah. Like the Sermon on the Mount is a big deal and you see Jesus, you know, do, delivering the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, blessed are blah 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 <clears throat> and it's the guys in the back that they're like mishearing is blessed are the greeks <laughs> or the makers of cheese what does cheese have to do with it and so they're making fun of wh- what if 
the, the, the crazy interpretation that people have about the Bible. That's what they're kind of making fun mm-hmm. of. Or it came the, from the people in the back that just misheard him a little bit. Or the, yeah. the crazy dogma that surrounds Jesus instead of And they Jesus. also point out really well about how there was this, at that time, in Nazareth, there was the in Judea. They were hoping for a Messiah. Messiah. There was all kinds of messiahs. They had gone Messiah crazy at that point. It wasn't just Jesus at that point proclaiming that was proclaimed to be the Messiah at that time. So they kind of then explore a little bit. Then like, well, what if this just random dude named Brian <laughs> becomes this Messiah in a way? So yeah, um, and the film does well. Obviously, there's pushback from the real religious people um oh yes rabbis protested the movie yes did do you know do you have that as i don't have it in front of me but it's because of john cleese's like his garb that he was wearing that they were really upset about in the stoning scene (laughs) because you have to have a stoning which is like my favorite part of that movie it's so funny (laughs) not to stone until they say jehovah pow ow lay off we haven't started yet all i said was that piece of halibut was good enough for Jehovah. Blasphema! <laughs> beautiful, beautifully done. Definitely Ecclesian as well, I think, uh, the way mm-hmm. that's written. Uh, but what he's wearing, what John Cleese is wearing, is apparently very uh, uh, hurtful, I don't know, sacrilegious to mm-hmm. Orthodox Jews. So that's where that came from. They're like, well, we weren't trying on that. I'm very sorry. It was just a costume. Yeah. Like, we didn't even know. One of the most interesting parts, too, was Cleese and Palin got in a debate <laughs> on a television show with yeah. two religious leaders, one of which was uh, one of the heads of the Church of England, who was wearing all of this jewelry and a ridiculous golden cross. And if you look at him, I'm like, I don't see Jesus in you at all. And this other man, who was like an apologist in a way, but was a notorious womanizer and alcoholic. So they were like, well, that's a couple of hypocrites. And if you go into the debate, the the Pythons took it very seriously. And they Mm -hmm. were studying up and they were kind of pulling up their... Cambridge and, and Oxford roots and like how they were being scholarly with it. And instead the uh, two Christians were trying to like pander to the crowd and they're like, they were trying to bring legitimate arguments about how we do not make fun of Jesus in this film. We do not insult religion in any way. We talk about how people misuse religion. That's the whole point of, of life of Brian and poor Michael Palin was getting like visibly upset with it. You know, it, Palin is my personal favorite of all the Pythons. Mm. Very funny, but also a genuinely good man. Uh, you don't hear the Pythons really say anything too negative about Michael because he's just that nice. But he was taking it personal because he didn't want to insult anyone's religion. He was making it a point of what they were. But instead, these two religious guys were like, oh, well, this will help us if we do, if we just win this argument that way by pandering. Yeah, I haven't watched that um, entirety, just the little clips on that documentary. And you could just see Cleese and, like, they're going like, oh, is that your argument? Well, we'll make fun of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And their final film, uh, The Meaning of Life. I've watched bits of this. I haven't watched it in its entirety. I mean, it's okay. It's got super good highlights. One of the best is... uh, they, there's a song called Every Sperm is Sacred mm-hmm. and it talks about how Catholics just have like huge families 
and uh, Palin can no longer afford to keep all of his kids, so like a lot of them have to go work at the mill. <laughs> and then after that, uh, there's this whole bit with Graham Chapman and Eric mm-hmm. Idle where they're the Protestant couple, and Chapman's like, hm, well, we're lucky. We get to have sex with a condom. Like that's, that's the whole thing of like, wait, that makes us Protestant. And you've Eric Idle's performance is so good in it because he's playing a woman. He's playing Chapman's wife. And oftentimes the way they would play women, I know uh, lots of women have a problem with it because they play shrill, unrealistic <laughs> women oftentimes. But Idle plays it beautifully where he's almost like slowly turned on about all of this sexual talk <laughs> and his hands begin to wander into places and you just see him or her, I guess she's playing a woman slowly start to get titillated by all of this sex talk. But then she realizes, Oh, I can't quite be like that. Oh, it must be good. It's a really well done sketch that and um, the song about um, this. It's really the Eric Idol show in that film mm-hmm. where uh it's basically just about how all the galaxy and how beautiful life is at that point. And we should maybe cherish it a bit because it's so massive and we're this little thing in it. So let's just enjoy it. It goes back to their sketch comedy. It's more of broken up sketches um, like, and now for something completely different. And so you have the two narrative films, Holy Grail, Life of Brian, and then their two sketch kind of shows uh, meaning of life and, and now for something completely different. Mm-hmm. And uh, shortly thereafter, 1983, The Meaning of Life uh, releases. They kind of don't really do much. And then, unfortunately, Graham Chapman passes away. Yeah, There was a cool, um, in, in between that period, they did do some, they did touring. In fact, they made a oh, lot yeah, of money. Oh, yeah, the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, they, a lot of their money at, as Python was made touring because apparently the BBC pays shit. <laughs> <laughs> So they're like, well, we need to make some money off of this somehow. So they would tour. They would tour England. They toured Canada. They toured America very late. Live at the Hollywood Bowl is fantastic because it's when you can really tell the Pythons took over America. Like, they had made it, and it's at the Hollywood Bowl. So many funny sketches from that one, for sure. Wasn't that just more of uh, the Flying Circus, like their best bits from that? Some, I... some, but then there was some original stuff that they would that they threw in there that worked on touring. So there's mm-hmm. a, it's a it's a nice blend. Uh, there was one interview uh, during this documentary where they talked about how they had to go out in a crowd and they would get high because people were yeah. smoking pot. And, and, <laughs> and they said like everyone thought we were doing tons of drugs. We weren't big druggies. Maybe a little weed here and there. Uh, they would drink some. I mean, Chapman. Chapman was a was he, he talked about being an alcoholic, so that's that's no secret. Mm-hmm. But literally, that's not what they were. They were just different thinkers at that point, and probably deserve more credit. I do think also we need to put out a little bit of a shout out to the unofficial seventh member of Python, uh, Carol Cleveland. Carol she, Cleveland. She. They had other women that would play on the show. They said if they wanted a funnier woman, they liked to play it because they wanted the laughs. But if they wanted like a, a a woman to like be to bring some more ground to it, they had other women come in, but they didn't quite know what to play. Carol Cleveland came in and they just said, forget everyone else. We only want to work with Carol. And so she then became the unofficial seventh member. And they would always bring Carol in for all of their other uh, projects as well. She was in the Holy Grail. Um, what was that? Um, the 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 girls. I yeah, can't think of the Galahad. Like when Galahad is tempted. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, at, at the castle. I can't even remember the name of the castle anymore. I can't even. But yeah, she would always have a part somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, so they kind of they toured a little bit, and then Graham Chapman uh, started getting sicker and sicker. Uh, 
and they kind of petered out a little bit. Um, and of course in 1989, Graham Chapman passes away with throat cancer. Um, he had come out as being homosexual shortly before I think his death or was it not too long? I mean, of course it was pretty well known at that point. Yeah. He was very, uh, openly gay, but not if that makes sense. Uh, so not officially at that time, it was way more (laughs) difficult to come out. Yep. you yep. didn't know what society would do at that point. It was it was a it was not as safe mm-hmm. then as it is now for someone to be able to come out. The best part though of that funeral is John Cleese. One hundred percent. During the funeral, he starts it off by saying, Graham Chapman is no more. He has ceased to be. He no longer exists. <laughs> he has gone on to meet the maker of light entertainment in the sky. Since they both wrote the parrot sketch together, mm-hmm. that's how he ended it. Or that's how he started it. And then he says, um, most people would say that they feel sorry or something along those lines. And he just says, not me. Good riddance to the freeloading bastard. I'd hope he fries. <laughs> <laughs> you see everyone laugh at that. And he says, uh, the, the one thing, though, about Graham, he said, is he just liked poor taste occasionally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what made Graham laugh would just be very un- uncomfortable moments. For example, Python also did a show in Germany. They didn't speak very good German, so they had to phonetically learn German and come over and do the series for them. And they brought them to Germany and for whatever reason, like almost immediately took them to Dachau. They're like, what? We didn't ask for this, but okay, we're here. I guess to get it out of the way of this concentration camp, but okay. And then for whatever reason, it was closed. Well, Graham at that point was like, we're going in. I'm, I was brought here. I'm going to go see it. They're like, no, no, sorry. It's closed. And then finally Graham said to the uh, interpreter, tell them we're Jewish. And that got them in. <laughs> a lie that they were all Jewish. And they're like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll let you in. I'm very sorry. Yeah. I, that Watching that funeral is actually, <clears throat> it just shows you the love that they all have for each other and how life should be a celebration. That was kind of their point. Yeah. Uh, Graham Chapman wouldn't have wanted like this sad thing. He wanted people to laugh. Uh, and John, one of the uh, bits of John Cleese when he's talking, he, he was talking one of his final conversations with Graham Chapman. He was like, "This is John Cleese speaking as Graham Chapman. Like you made a big deal about saying the being the first person on BBC to say the word shit. Well, now you're going to be the first person in a British funeral memorial to say the word fuck." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. that's this is like broadcast all over British. Yeah. yeah. It's recorded for posterity. You can watch it on YouTube if you want. It's it's humorous but at the same time touching because it fit perfectly with uh what they were trying to do. Mhm. Uh from then on you have the 90s which the Pythons didn't really do a lot. They all kind of separated at John Cleese does movies, uh Terry Gilliam does a lot of directing. Yeah, he directed some really good movies. Uh, Brazil was like his first real hit. Uh, Twelve Monkeys, I believe he did as well, which is another uh, good one. He's he had done a lot of very good movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's if you watch it, you'll be like, that is a Terry Gilliam film. Like you'll just kind of know based off of the look of it because it can be so bizarre. I think uh, Terry Jones also directs a few films. He I don't does. think. Any of them got, like, huge. No, not quite, but um, he was uh, a bit more, how do I put it? He didn't really crave the limelight as much. That wasn't Mm -hmm. what Terry was. Terry was more of an artist. 
and that's something that you really have to admire where he wasn't going to sell out his his opinion for anything and that's probably why him and Cleese fought a lot Cleese he always talked about like well I'm going to do this for the money like he had no <laughs> qualms about saying well how much does it pay you know I do have another divorce I'm going through <laughs> that was what they all love to tease John Cleese about his divorces <laughs> That's their joke all the time of like, oh yeah, we're doing this because Cleese has another divorce to pay off. <laughs> Just harsh. Mm-hmm. Just so harsh. Uh, Gil, uh, wow. M- Michael Palin, again, uh, does a little bit stuff. He does um, He does a fair oh. amount of acting, but what he's, his greatest contribution really was is he did like um, some travel shows. Mm-hmm. And people would make, <laughs> the Pythons made fun of him all the time. They're like, ugh. It's so boring. Like they said they hated it because uh, they would mess with their friend. But the thing about Michael Palin is he really was an ordinary guy who just wanted to make friends as best as he could. And so he wanted to make those guys laugh. One time, and this is another great story, Cleese decided he was going to mess with Michael Palin. He thought he would catch him doing something. So he decided to go into his hotel room. I think this is while they were filming Holy Grail. He sneaks into Palin's hotel room and hides in the closet. And he's like, okay, if I catch him doing something funny, I'm going to bust out and just scare him. P- Palin comes in, brushes his teeth, washes his face, puts on his pajamas, and then just sits there quietly in a room and reads a book. And he said he sat there, or he's standing in his closet for a good 20 minutes and realized, well, the joke's on me. He just slowly opened the door and said, have a good night, Michael, and just walked out. <laughs> and Palin sat there like, oh, what? What? <laughs> he just didn't know. He thought he was going to catch him like jacking off or something. Sure. Instead, no, he's just being this quiet old man in his 30s at that point, reading a book, enjoying his day. But that, in essence, is Michael Palin, a very good man. Who The joke's on you. He's not really doing anything weird. Mm-hmm. Eric Idle does a lot of bit roles. Uh, he's in a lot of films, actually. Yes. Just as small parts. Um, I think he did a lot of writing. He did a lot of TV. Well, he's the one that wrote and directed Spam a lot. Mm. He is the brains behind all of that, which really helped reignite a lot of people's love for uh, the, the Pythons. Mm-hmm. The rest of the guys were like, you can do whatever you want with it. We probably aren't going to want to contribute too much. So he just took it on and did it himself. Mm-hmm. He kind of kept the Python name from dying out because then you get the 25th anniversary of the Holy Grail, which they do a lot. If you watch the documentary of that, they do a documentary where they talk about the filming, the budget, uh, the castle debacle, which is hilarious. Uh, they go to Scotland. They do like a lot of research and they find all these awesome castles in Scotland and who was it? The environmental of the protection of Scotland's castles or whatever the bullshit they're like, no, absolutely not. You're not going to film anything. No. No. <laughs> no. So they had to shoot one castle one to look castle. like all of the castles that they were using. So it's like, okay. They just had to shoot it at a different angle each time. Yep. There's two castles. Uh, the one at the end. Uh, what is it? Castle. I do, I do not know the name of the castle. I don't so. either. The one on the island where they get stuck, basically. Yeah. <laughs> when the awful ending happens. Yeah. Th- <laughs> so there's uh, two castles in the entire film. Uh, and then they did, they do a couple documentaries in between, and their last big hurrah was mostly live in 2014. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a sad watch. Uh, if you can see, there's a documentary on Netflix where they show parts of the uh, the live show. 
you can really tell Terry Jones is dealing a lot with his dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to do it as quick as possible before the dementia got really bad. They knew they were at a time crunch. Um, they were also, they had gotten sued actually. Uh, one of the producers felt like he was owed a lot of money for, uh, Holy Grail. So this is a long time in between this and they get sued for it and they're like, all right, well, we'll just pay up whatever. Um, but they were like, well, how do we recoup some of this money? And some, one of their advisors said, you should just do a live show at the O2 in London. You'll make all of your money back from the lawsuit with that and you'll be fine. And then I th- it was either Idol or Cleese. They're like, you know, we could make a lot of money off of this. Because one of their jokes is they're like, why are you coming back? The money. That's all they would always say as a joke. I mean, it's part the money. Um, but uh, so they just decided to do a bunch of shows then at the O2. It, but watching that, they you could tell the guys are trying to still have fun. But it's weighing on them how difficult it was for Terry. Mm-hmm. They'll make jokes about you know him forgetting something, but that's you can almost tell it's the sensibilities of their time. Like, uh, we don't want to feel bad about this. We know our friend is going soon, so let's just try to laugh it off. But you can always see Michael is there to try to take care of him. Like, he'll put his arm around him and be like, what's that? Oh, no, it's okay. We're going to do this. Yep, he just forgot something. It's okay. We'll get him his bills or something like that. But you can always still see how much Michael cared for Terry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were partners in that... Um, but Michael was really the friends to be there for Terry during those really tough times. Yep. And of course the missing of Graham. Yes. Um, it's very poignant. Uh, they have stand-ins for Graham's parts in that show because they hadn't done anything really since Graham's passing. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a somber tone of their kind of final hurrah uh, to be all together. Um, and of course, Terry, Jones passed away January 21st of 2020. Yeah. Um, so there's only four left. They used to say they were all going alphabetically and they're like, we can't wait to get rid of Cleese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It wasn't the, the title, the poster of that show, uh, one down five left. Yeah. One down five to go. Cleese <laughs> <laughs> gets that dark humor. It sounds like from his mom. Because he said he was on Conan and he talked about this and he said, my mom used to be obsessed with death. She would say, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. I don't think I have much time. I'm worried I'm going to go. And then finally she said to him again, you'll miss me when I'm gone. And he's like, no, I won't. Why would you say that about me? I'm your mother. He's like, because I'm going to have you stuffed. I'll put you over there in the corner so I can yell at you whenever I want. <laughs> that's, that's your mom. and she apparently laughed it's like yeah that's where you got that humor dude 100 <laughs> percent. uh so that's the brief history of monte python um you want to talk about kind of your favorite bits of holy grail uh i mean my number one is from the movies is the entire part of um arthur when he sees the two peasants old woman Man, <laughs> sorry, I didn't know you're called Dennis. We didn't bother to find out now, did you? That whole thing I've quoted all the way through and Kate just rolls her eyes, but it's so funny. It's good. These educated peasants who are far more advanced than this king. Uh, once again, you're seeing the humor and the Python style punching up at an authoritarian. The little guy is not as dumb as you think, and they're going to win the argument <laughs> because they're smarter. So... I absolutely love that. And then from the TV show, Lumberjack's up there. Mm. I also really love, there's this one 
where it's uh, I think like Hitler on holiday is kind of what it is. <laughs> so like Hitler is there is at some English B and B with uh, like Himmler oh, and yeah, Goebbels yeah. or someone else, someone else. I can't remember who the third is. And they're talking about um, like they're like oh yes we're just talking about going on an excursion with our friends here maybe to Poland here, yeah? <laughs> and so like uh, finally they uh, I think Himmler accidentally says oh yes my Führer I mean friend friend here <laughs> sorry my dicky old chum they can't they can't stay English too long because they're not smart enough which is I love that <laughs> it's so stupid my dicky old chum that's the way Palin who's playing Himmler talks about <laughs> Hitler. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Sorry, but those are those are some of my favorites. Too many to list, though. Too many. Curtis, I think the uh, the scene of the Lord of the Swamp and Holy Grail is probably one of my biggest favorite all out drawn out scenes. It's from him politely describing with his hands all the tracts of land that they're going to be getting. And <laughs> the oh, first, yeah. ca- first castle fell into the swamp. Second <laughs> castle also fell into the swamp, but the third castle burned down, fell into the swamp. The fourth one the stayed fourth up, one though. Stayed up, though. Yes. I'm gonna make, she has great big, big tracts of, of land. land. <laughs> Which would have been a huge, attractive thing to someone at that point in yeah. time. So, <laughs> uh-huh. I just love the it's start Very of, historical, yeah. like, accurate. I, but I it's love the start of it. The words, yeah. One day, Herbert. All of this will be yours. What? The curtains? No, not the curtains. <laughs> the land. That's, that's the way that character thinks is like exactly what's in front of him. What? The curtains? No, not the curtains. Come on. And then with the two guards after. The two guards. Yes. They can't decide if they're staying in the room or not. <laughs> yeah. They just can't understand the most basic bits. Not to leave the room, even if you come and get him. No, no, no. <laughs> Until I come and get him. It's just so well. It's another Clesian, I feel like, sort of argument sketch. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, too many to list. Obviously, the parrot sketch. I am partial to the dirty fork bit. Uh, I do like that. So the dirty fork bit, uh, Graham Chapman goes, uh, "There's my fork is a little dirty. And they just go crazy, like melt down and start freaking out. And more and more people come from the back, like just melting down and freaking out, making it to be a huge deal. Yeah, like, like they really offended them. <laughs> That's a good bit. Uh, the lumberjack bit uh, for Holy Grail. My gosh, uh, the whole movie. The Knights of Knee. Roger the Shrubber. Roger. <laughs> um, of course, Tim the Enchanter for obvious reasons. Mm. Big pointy teeth. <laughs> the bunny rabbit. Like, oh my gosh. There's a lot. The holy hand grenade. I would tell people too check out Live at the Hollywood Bowl because there's some stuff in there that's. Really funny, like the uh, um, there's a soccer game between uh, two uh, countries of philosophers. So like the ancient Greeks go up against like the Germans. (laughs) So it'll be like um, you know Aristotle's in goal with Socrates and all these others, and then the Germans have ten of them. But then they also included Franz Beckenbauer, who was probably the best German soccer player at that time. (laughs) But they just decided to put him in there until finally the Greeks get the idea of wait, we're playing a game. And they actually like start playing while the Germans are just watching, like unaware of what's going on. That one's really funny as well. Uh, the oh, there's They must have been super into philosophy, I guess. I think that might have been an idol thing. But the philosopher's song as well, where they're all just 
all philosophers just want to be drunks. He said, uh, <laughs> Emmanuel Kant was a real peasant. He was very rarely stable. Heidegger, Heidegger was a boozy beggar. He could drink you under the table. David Hume could outconsume Schopenhauer and Hegel. And Wigenstein was a berry swine. He was just as lost as Schlegel. There's nothing nature couldn't teach you about the raising of the wrist. Socrates himself was permanently pissed. And John Stuart Mill, of his own free will, after half a pint of shagger, was particularly ill. Hegel, they say, could drink away half a pint of shagger. Ah, fuck it, I messed it all up. Anyways, it's really fun and, I don't know, a good little lesson on philosophy. They also, one of their... I like this bit, the communist panel. Yeah, it's a bit... Well, it doesn't really work right now, though. I think it's inappropriate because one of the characters plays Mao Zedong and uses... It looks kind of like a, a racist caricature at that point. So. so they bring up Karl Marx, Lenin, uh, that guy. Who was the fourth one? Che, uh, che Guevara. And you would think, oh, they're going to have a debate about communism. And Eric Idle is like, so <laughs> name the team that was the Hammers. Yes. And he just wants to talk about soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Karl Marx. <laughs> what was uh, Jerry Lee Lewis's great hit? <laughs> Mao Zedong goes, great balls of fire? They're like, yes, that is right. So many good bits. Yeah. Uh, keeping on with the comedy theme, go watch some old comedy. We talked about Lucille Ball and, of course, the Pythons. Uh, huge comedy uh, for me. Kind of my genesis, not genesis, but I can't think of the right word. I uh, call it my baptism in the comedy. Baptism in the comedy, the uh, where I draw a lot of my comedy from, if I call it that, like the straight man with John Cleese. I can really do a good dead deadpan straight man character, which is John Cleese and overreacting and stuff like that. Um, so give old comedy. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. Open up your heart to it. Open Listen your to your heart. I gotta stop singing songs. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get copyrighted. <laughs> or I'm right. gonna get sued. Sued. Any final thoughts, bits, uh, comedy that you'd like to bring forth? Ni, 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 